We're starting a new series today, a short, uh, about four-week series. If you're new to our congregation, I want to welcome you. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And if this is your first time, if you're watching online as well, we're, we're thrilled that you're with us. At the end of the service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. Our pastors will be downstairs as well, and we would love to connect with you. Uh, I wanted to, I've been studying uh, some of the stories out of Genesis 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, and over the next four weeks, I want to highlight four of those stories, and we've entitled this series, How We Got Here, Story, Origin Stories of Brokenness and Redemption. And so we're going to focus on the stories of Adam and Eve, the stories of Cain and Abel, the stories of Noah's Ark, and the story of the Tower of Babel. And we're calling them origin stories because origin stories help us to understand how we got to the place where we're at today. And so whether it's origin stories pertaining to Star Wars or pertaining to Lord of the Rings, uh, there's an origin story right now, the Joker. Uh, I'm not going to watch that. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I saw his laugh on the trailer, and I said, no, I'm not going to watch that. Uh, so origin stories help us to catch up and give context to a particular person, a particular character, a particular story. And what I'm going to show you in Genesis is we can't fully understand where we're at as a society, where we're at as individuals, until we understand how we got here. Now, not only how we got here, but what does God have to say about how we got here and what has God done about it? And so we're going to look at those four stories over the next few weeks. And today we're going to focus on uh, the first story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And the thrust I want to capture today is really the, the, the origin story of our refusal to receive. The, or, the, the world is in the place it is because our, of our refusal to receive. Instead, we grasp, and that's what we're going to see in this text today. And so uh, Genesis chapter 3, you can follow along with me on, on the, the screen there, but uh, hear the word of the Lord. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And instead of just saying yes, the man says, the woman um, you put here with me. <laughs> She gave some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent uh, deceived me and I ate. Uh, and from that point on, we see curses uh, and, and ramifications and consequences. And then we begin to see salvation history open up before us and what God wants to do about it. There's so many layers to the story But I want to focus on one particular uh, point of application, and it is in our refusal to receive and our tendency to grasp. Our refusal to receive and our tendency to grasp. Let's pray together. Jesus, Lord, we find ourselves often in a vicious cycle of grasping and taking and manipulating and controlling. And Lord, you've called us to live at ease to receive every gift that comes from your hand. And so, Lord, may we live at ease. May we live trusting. May we live with our hands open before you to receive every gift of the Holy Spirit this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. One of the greatest challenges we have in life is learning how to receive and being comfortable with receiving from another person. Uh, Jesus says it is better to give than to receive, but it is often easier to give than to receive. Because to receive puts us in a position where we have to confess a few things about ourselves. To receive puts us in a position to confess that I need, that I'm vulnerable, that I have weakness, that I don't have my act together all by myself. And so to confess that I need to receive is often something that's very difficult for us to do. And we find this in many different contexts. I recall when I was, uh, wasn't a Christian, but I was visiting a church and I was, my heart was just aching for God, but I was not ready to come to God. And I remember the worship pastor saying, lift your hands before the Lord as a sign of your weakness. And I remember everything inside of me wanted to lift my hands in this way. But I was just so worried about how people are going to look at me if I lifted my hands. And so I did the good Christian, like, lift the hands up right here. Lift your hands. And, and I was like, right right there. And I'm looking around, make sure no one's looking because I'm strong. You see, I'm strong. And, but more and more as the service went on, I, I, the hand just started going a little higher here. And, and you've been there before where all of a sudden you're, you're preoccupied with people looking at you. And there comes a point where you could care less about who's looking at you. And you just say, I'm weak. I need to receive. And the hand goes up and, and no one's looking at you in the first place. But to confess that you are weak is often something difficult for us to do. Therefore, we have a hard time receiving. We have a hard time receiving because we are scared of vulnerability. We're scared of of letting people know who we truly are and being open and honest about our, our, our struggles and such. And so we have a hard time receiving. We often have a hard time receiving because we often live believing that we don't deserve to receive. I'm not worthy enough to receive. I haven't done enough to receive, which is why grace is so scandalous. I haven't done enough. And so we don't often believe we deserve to receive. Or we're so busy to receive. Life is going on and we're going from one thing to the next. And our lives are so full that we cannot truly receive. Or we are afraid of being put in someone else's debt. Why don't we receive from other people? Because we're afraid of being put in someone else's debt. 
Now, in my time at New Life, I, I've been, uh, I have uh, learned a lot about Asian culture and, and Asian tradition. Being here for 11 years, I have learned a whole lot about the Asian experience. And we have folks from all over uh, Asia here at New Life, from China and Korea and Malaysia and the, and, and the Philippines and Singapore and Sri Lanka and Bhutan and India. I, I mean, 75 nations represented. We have a lot of people here. And I remember asking a New Lifer about their challenge of receiving. An Asian person about their challenge of receiving. And and this is what they responded to me in an email saying, I have a hard time receiving because of this reason. And this is what they said. They said the biggest challenge uh, in learning to receive, for example, with gifts uh, is, and your car is in the parking lot. So (laughs) receive your car right now. Um, Whoever that car is, it's running. Uh, Receive it before it runs out. All right. Put that quote up on the screen for me here. Let's receive it. Ah, yes. Okay. One of, new, one of our new lifers says these words. The biggest challenge in learning to receive, for example, with gifts is the reciprocity problem. You feel like you're in their debt. In gift giving, uh, Chinese at least give gifts to each other, in part based on the size or value of the gift they have received from that person. So, for example, at my wedding, my parents asked me to note down how much money the other family gave me as a wedding gift because they wanted to make sure that they gave the equivalent-sized gift to the other family for their children's wedding. Now, I assure you that does not happen in Puerto Rican culture. I want to just let you know that that does not happen in Puerto Rican culture. However... We often have a hard time receiving because we don't want to often be put in someone else's debt. And when you consider these things, when you look at Genesis and the the first story of Genesis and how sin enters into the world, we see that the world enters into disruption, into disorientation. Sin enters into the world because of humanity's refusal to receive. And so when we look at Genesis, we don't look at Genesis as something that just happened. We look at it as something that happens. It happens in our lives. It happens in our world. It happens every single day of our lives. We often fail to receive, and we live our lives grasping. Now, I want to offer some context of the book of Genesis, because the book of Genesis really is an alternative vision of how the world came into being. The book of Genesis is a a correction. It's a reversal of how the world came into being. And it's important to note how the Bible, for a moment, came into being. We have to remember that the Bible did not just fall from heaven to the ground with chapters and verses and leather bound with your name on it. That's not how the Bible came into existence. The Bible was written over thousands of years, and it's a a collection of Holy Spirit-inspired words that is part of a particular context, part of a particular time, but has universal significance and application for our lives. But I say all that to say that when the Bible was written, the authors of Scripture were very aware and cognizant of of the surrounding culture. And so they wrote the Bible to to present an alternative vision, sometimes of contrasting vision, sometimes just a truer vision of how things are. We see this in the New Testament. In the New Testament, uh, the, the word gospel 
was not invented by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel was not invented by the Apostle Paul. The word gospel was a socio-political term that was used of the emperor of Rome named Caesar. And so they would proclaim, the people of Rome would proclaim the gospel of Caesar. They would call Caesar the son of God. They would call Caesar the prince of peace. And so when Bible authors uh, ran into Jesus and when he would die and resurrect, they, they took those words and said, no, no, we are going to repurpose those words to show you who the real son of God is, who the real prince of peace is, what the real gospel is. It's the good news not of Caesar. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the authors of the New Testament were aware of the surrounding culture, and they used those words to offer a better vision, an alternative vision, a truer version of history. The same thing happens in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, the sacred authors of Genesis, when they write Genesis, they write with an awareness that other things have been written in their day. Other things have been written in their, in, in their culture, and now they are offering a different version, a truer version, a Holy Spirit-inspired correction to the myths of how the world came into being. And so Genesis is a reversal. It's a correction. It's a truer vision of the world. And I say that because when, when Genesis 3 is written, there's, there are other stories in the surrounding culture that this author has in mind, that many scholars would say has in mind. And in particular, there is a, an old Babylonian story called the Enuma Elish, which had a particular vision of how the world came into being, how sin came into being. And so when Genesis is written, is written to give a truer version of what is the surrounding stories in that culture. Are you following me? Okay, in, in, in Genesis 3, we see it's a correction. It's a true version of the surrounding culture. And in the Enuma Elish, the story goes like this in a nutshell, the story of sin. It says, in the beginning, the gods created human beings, but the gods had eternal life and did not want human beings to have eternal life. They refused to share the secret of eternal life with human beings. But in this version of Babylonian mythology, the goddesses or the gods would have relationships with human beings. And so one day, a goddess has a relationship with a human being named Gilgamesh. We see this in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And, and, and she leaks the secrets of eternal life. Gilgamesh is human. He does not live forever, but she tells them, the secret to eternal life is found at the bottom of the ocean. There's a plant down there. And so Gilgamesh goes down to the ends of the earth in this Babylonian myth, gets the plant, and, and, and he, she says, if you, if you take it out of the ocean and eat it, you will live forever. But Gilgamesh goes down to the sea, grabs the plant, brings it out to the sea, and as he's drying himself from being wet, he steps to the side, and a snake comes along and eats the plant. Now, what he was intending to do was to give the plant to all of the village so everyone could live forever. But instead, the snake takes the plant 
and now the snake lives forever, and humans are subjected to death. Now, the, the scholars would say that the, the, the sacred authors of, uh, author of Genesis, whether it was Moses, would have this idea in mind, this story in mind, but offer a truer Holy Spirit uh, account of the world. And so, so, and so because the Genesis writer is writing in response to it, does not take away anything from the book of Genesis. It is God's word. It is God's inspired word with a truer version of how things came into being. And I wanted you to see just the contrast, the contrast of the Enuma Elish and the contrast in Genesis. Notice the difference. In, in Genesis, God gives eternal life. In the Babylonian stories around the culture, they have to steal eternal life. In in the Enuma Elish, the gods did not want human beings to live forever. In Genesis, God wants his people to live forever. God grants eternal life, but God grants it with a condition. He says, you can eat from any tree in the garden except that one. And the day you eat from that tree you will surely die. Why does God put a tree in the midst of a garden and says you cannot touch it? In a word, love. God does not not want us to be robots who don't have a choice to love God. To love someone is to give them the choice not to love, not to force them to love. And so God gives humanity the choice whether to love God and obey or to do their own will and not love God and to, and to take matters into their own hands. And we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve get tempted to look at that one tree. They eat from the tree and sin enters into the world. And what I want you to see is their story is our story. It, it's not just something that happened. It's something that happens. Every time we grasp, Every time we take, every time we go beyond our limits, we cause disruption in our lives. We cause disruption in our world. We cause disruption in our relationship with God. The story of Genesis reminds us that every time we grasp, we deepen our disconnection with God and others. But every time we receive with gratitude and love, we deepen our connection. The problem for Adam and Adam and Eve is they grasp rather than be content with what God gave them. And in this one story, we actually see the fullness of the Ten Commandments lived out. God has called them to live in a particular way, and they go beyond the limit that God placed on them. They take by force something which can only be received in love. They grasp because of fear. They grasp because of lust. They grasp because of greed. They grasp because of power. Have you ever grasped in those ways? Taken something, moved the head, grasp because of fear, grasp something because of power, greed, lust. Their story is our story. It's not just something that happened. It's something that happens. We take before we are to take. 
We grasp before we are to grasp. Uh, the other day, uh, we, we had a good Puerto Rican meal for dinner. We, we sat down. We had ros, uh, gondules. We had the chicken. We had the tostones. We had it all there. We put it out, which is a dangerous thing to do, to put the food out uh, before you sit. And, and so we put the food out, and, and, and our son Nathan comes, and he just grabs a tostone. He just grabs a, a green, a green place, grab, and oh, he's just eating it, eating it. And, and, and I said, why did you grab it? I said, wait, this, who, who, who gave you permission to grab it? And he just, he just, and when he grabbed it, when he snatched it, when he took it, disruption occurred at the dinner table. <laughs> I would have given it to you. Just wait a second. But he took it. Every time we take, grasp, reach, go beyond our limits, we cause disruption. We cause disconnection. We cause pain. And, and when we look at the ways we grasp, there are at least two ways of grasping that we see in the story. And as I note these two ways of grasping, I want you to take note of your own life and how you might be tempted to grasp, to take, to move beyond a limit that God has set. The first way of grasping is, is it's a grasping that is a manifestation of greed and power. The second way of grasping is grasping as a manifestation of fear. And so in one sense, it's aggressive grasping. In another sense, it's kind of anxious grasping. And there's certainly some overlap. There's aggressive grasping, and then there is anxious grasping. In the first sense of grasping, Adam and Eve are not content being made in the image of God. They want to be God. They want to have all the divine properties of God. They're not content being made in God's image, and so they move beyond the limit of creator, creation, and because of greed and because of power, they go beyond their limits and cause disruption by their aggressive grasping. And this is the story of our world. That whenever we aggressively grasp from one another, we cause great pain and suffering in the world. And ever since this time, we have seen this at work in the world. Whether this grasping comes in the form of taking land, of nations taking land from another, whether, and and the United States being part of this. Tomorrow is Columbus Day, okay? Uh, It's a really appropriate sermon for tomorrow being Columbus Day of, of grasping power, taking what does not belong to you. We find our world is in its place because, because over and over again, people grasp what does not belong to them and takes what does not belong to them. We see this with, with corporations who will exploit uh, the, the world, the environment for economic gain, grasping through power, grasping through greed. We see this in our, rela- our sexual relationships, someone grasping through sexual assault, grasping through rape. This is power. This is greed. And our world from this very inception here has been identified with a kind of aggressive grasping, which is why whenever we see aggressive grasping as the people of God, our response is, no, that's not what God intended. Why do we talk about God making things right? Why do we talk about justice? Because this is not what God intended. And so when we see people exploiting other people, 
Whether it's on a, a, a sexual relationship or whether it's corporations or whether it's entire people groups, we say no in the name of Jesus. Because God did not intend our world to be marked in this way. Which is why as the people of God, we must speak out when we see things happening in our world. God did not intend it this way for one nation to exploit another, for one people group to exploit another, for one man to exploit another. No. This is not what God intended. Aggressive grasping. But then we also see in this text, not just aggressive grasping, we see anxious grasping. And from time to time, we find ourselves subjected to both powers. They're anxious and they grasp. The serpent convinces them that God is holding back. God doesn't love you. God's holding back from you. And because of their anxiety, they cross a line. They go beyond their limits. They, 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 they now anxiously move ahead. They don't think through their decision. They anxiously react. They respond. Have you ever done that before? You, you don't think it through. You're anxious about something, and you're not prudent. You're, not, you're letting your emotions get the best of you, and so you just react. You don't think about talking to someone about a particular decision. You don't think about getting uh, alone with God and opening scripture. You, you just react. Your emotions get the best of you. You make a bad financial decision. You get into a, a bad relationship. You, you quit your job. You, you, you take on more debt. You, you just, out of your reaction and fear, you move ahead. You anxiously grasp. And so whether it is aggressively grasping or anxiously grasping, we find ourselves often caught living a life not of receiving but of grasping. And the reason why many of us grasp, very simply, is because we have been made to believe that God cannot be trusted, that God is holding back on us, that God is holding back good from us. And so if God is holding back good from me, I have to go get it. I have to assert myself. I have to grasp at it. Now, I want to be clear that this does not mean that we don't have vision for our lives. We don't have goals for our lives. We don't want to take the next step in our career. I'm not talking about that kind of initiative, but I'm talking about an interior uneasiness, a restlessness in which you are not trusting God. You believe God is holding back from you. Therefore, you have to take matters into your own hands. This is what we see in Genesis, anxious grasping because the serpent essentially says God is holding back on you. And maybe you look at your life, you think about your relationships, you think about your possessions, you think about particular decisions you have to make, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, God is holding back from me. Therefore, I need to take. Therefore, I need to grasp. And whenever you're tempted to believe that God is holding, withholding good from you, the, the, the way to think, to rethink that is to very simply think about Jesus. We gather together as the people of God to worship. We gather together to hear God's word. We gather together to take bread in a cup. We gather together to pray for one another, to remind each other 
that God does not withhold good from us, that God gives God's self for us. Jesus Christ gives him, he withholds nothing. He gives his entire life for us. And Paul says it in the book of Romans. If, 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 if God did not withhold his son, how much more will he, will he freely give everything to you? When you're struggling to, to believe that God is, 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 is withholding things from, look to Jesus. Why do we worship together? To look to Jesus. Why do we sing to look to Jesus? Why do we preach to look to Jesus? He withholds nothing from us. He gives everything for us. Therefore, God can be trusted, which which means if God can be trusted, I am invited to live from a place of receiving. A place of receiving. Now, one of the more powerful stories I've heard about this comes from a man by the name of Ron Roheiser. And he gives a wonderful story about a young boy's refusal to take and his, uh, the way of receiving. And this is how the story goes. It says, there's a theologian named James Mackey who shared a story about a hunting expedition in Africa. And his group was camped in a jungle And one morning after uh, breakfast in the morning, he hiked a few miles and he stood by a bush by himself and he shot two wild turkeys. And he buckled these turkeys to his belt and as as he was walking towards the camp, he heard noises and realized that he was being followed. He heard some rustling in the trees. And so he started to get very nervous and so he, he put a hand on his rifle And he looked behind him and noticed that it wasn't an an animal that was trying to get him. He noticed that it was a little 12-year-old boy who was naked and obviously very hungry. And the young boy did not want to do anything wrong to the man. The young boy simply wanted food. And so he stopped this man, opened his belt, and let the turkeys fall to the ground, and he backed away. And the young boy ran up to the turkeys, but he didn't pick them up. Instead, he looked to the man and in his own language began to ask for something. And not understanding what the little boy was saying, but sensing he wanted permission to take the turkeys, the man began to gesture him, saying, it's okay, you can take the turkeys. But this 12-year-old was still not at ease. He kept asking and gesturing for something. And finally, in desperation, the the boy took several steps back and and stood silently with his hands out in front of him. And it was at that point where the man got the cue. He he would go, he would pick the turkeys up, and he would place now the turkeys in the little boy's hands, and then the boy would run off with the turkeys. He refused to take the turkeys. He he waited till he received it. And this is really an anti-Genesis 3 story where he waits to receive instead of grasping and taking. And it's a picture of our lives, living in a kind of trusting confidence in God's goodness and refusing to take. Now, I want to tell you that Genesis 3 is something we live out on a regular basis. It's not just something that happened. It's something that happens. And we live it out every time we live our lives anxiously or aggressively grasping. We see this in the workplace. 
We go to work. Some of us go to work, and tomorrow you're going to go to work, and you're going to go to work anxious, anxiously grasping, anxiously seeking to prove yourself, anxiously working yourself to the bone so that someone can think highly of you. Your, your, your sole identity is in what you produce. Your sole identity is, is, is in, is in your, your title and, and your salary. And, and so you're, you're so marked by a kind of anxious and aggressive grasping. And we can go to work that way. Anxious, finding our identity and, and what we do, what we accomplish, what we possess. But then others of us can go to work the same job in the same department in a totally different way. Going to work receiving. Going to work realizing that any gift that I've received comes from the hand of God. That my, my life is not dependent upon this job, this position, this title, this salary. My, my, my full identity rests in God's good gifts towards me. And if I lose this job, my trust is not in this job. My trust is in the giver of this gift. It's in God. We can live our lives taking or we can live our lives receiving. This happens in our relationships. For some of us, we, maybe you're single here and you've been anxiously grasping. And at this point, you're like, I'll take anybody at this point, you know? And it's just like, you're breathing? All right, amen. Let's, you know? And, and, and so prematurely, we open ourselves up sexually. Prematurely, we open ourselves up emotionally to maybe make this thing work out. If this thing doesn't work out, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. And so we, we grasp, we anxiously move ahead. Or we can live our lives receiving, fully trusting that God is good, fully trusting that God can provide, fully trusting that my, I'm not expecting someone else to be God for me. I'm going to receive the gifts of God. Now, this doesn't mean, again, don't hear me say, don't, don't look for someone. And some of us, we pray, God's going, bring that person to my doorstep. Sometimes you've got, sometimes you got to leave the house, okay? And, <laughs> and so God will bring them to me. Well, that's, that's a little too literal, okay? <laughs> You're waiting for the doorbell to ring. You're going to go outside. She's waiting for you outside. Uh-uh. But there's a different way of living where we can live grasping or receiving. Think about our finances, our possessions. For some of us, God has blessed you with so much. And then you go on Facebook, you watch some commercials, you, you go on social media, and everything you focus on is what you don't have. And so you want to grasp. Adam and Eve had it all. They had it all. Any tree, except that one. Any tree. But when we're in a bad place, we fail to see all the gifts that we receive. And our lives is now focused on what we don't have. That tree, that house, that car, that job, that salary, that parking space. Okay, that, that's. And now our lives are marked by grasping instead of receiving. What we see in the story is that because their lives are marked by grasping, it causes disintegration, disruption, disorientation. Their relationship with God is damaged. Their relationship with each other is damaged. And at the end of Genesis 3, it's bad news. Brothers and sisters, it's bad news. 
They are banned from the garden. They, 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 they cannot enter in. Sin has now so disrupted human existence. And even though Genesis 3 ends with bad news, I love that the Bible doesn't end with Genesis 3. Because over and over again, what we see in the scriptures is that even though humanity is known and marked by grasping, marked by trespassing, marked by taking, God is marked by giving. God is marked by forgiving. God is marked by life. And over and over again, from Genesis 3 on, we see a God who is trying to make things right with God's people. And when you read all of the scriptures, God is trying to make things right with his people. And there comes a point in the New Testament as the story continues that God would return to the scene of the crime to make things right with his people. Because the way the garden was the scene of the crime where sin entered. And at the end of the Gospels, we see the Son of God, God in flesh, returning to the scene of the crime in another garden. Jesus Christ would go to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And you could be sure that when the Bible authors wrote this, they have this big story in mind. The original scene of the crime is in a garden, and God comes in Christ to make rights that which sin has overtaken. And so in, in the Garden of Eden, listen to this, listen to this reversal, listen to this contrast. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve don't do God's will which leads them to hide behind a tree, naked, covered in shame. But then the new Adam comes and another garden. And when Jesus comes on the scene, hear this, Jesus Christ in the garden does the will of God. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done in the garden. He does the will of God, and out of doing the will of God, it leads him, listen to this, to hang on a tree. Naked, conquering shame. Hear the contrast. Adam hides behind the tree, naked, conquered by shame. Jesus hangs on a tree, naked, and conquers shame. It's a great reversal here. And he undoes what Adam and Eve have done. How? Not by grasping, but by giving. Giving what? Giving his life. For who? For you. For the world. For all of creation. How was the world made right? Because God came in flesh in Jesus Christ and gave himself. Forgiving us of our sins. Offering us newness of life resurrecting on the third day, sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling over all. Why? So that we can live our lives giving now, no longer grasping. At the end of our uh, every service, we close with a benediction. And the benediction is us having a posture with our hands open. And the reason we do this and the reason I say it every week is because the world's posture is one of grasping, manipulation, control. But for the follower of Jesus, for the one who puts his or her faith in Jesus, our hands are open. Therefore, we confess our sin. Therefore, we see that Christ has paid it all for us. 
Therefore, we see that God offers us newness of life. Listen, you don't have to live grasping anymore. You don't have to live manipulating anymore. You don't have to live anxious anymore, aggressive anymore. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it. No, Jesus has done it. You can live your life receiving every gift from God. Let's pray together. Genesis 3 can be summarized in a couple of phrases. God can be trusted. You don't have to live your life endlessly grasping. And it's all a gift. Everything we see is a gift. And so we are called to receive it with gratitude, receive it in love. I want to give us a moment for our own confession. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And I wonder today, where are you grasping? Where are you anxious? Where do you feel, if I don't aggressively move forward, nothing's going to happen? I want you to hold that before God and ask God to begin to loosen your grip. Some of us, the grip that we have on life is a particular end that we have in mind, a particular goal we have in mind, and you say, no, it's, it's my will. I want it this way. We gather as the people of God to invite Jesus to loosen our grip, to say it might not unfold the way you want, but you can still live with freedom, live with interior peace, live with joy in the world, free to receive. Lord, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of scripture, the gift of your presence here. And Lord, may we be people who say, like Jesus, not my will be done, but your will be done in every area of our lives. We sing to you now, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a revelation of your glory, of your love, of your kindness, of your provision. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. Show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Make that our prayer, Father. Show us, show me your glory. 
show me your glory. Show me your glory. Oh, about the God. Show me your glory. One more time. Show me your glory. our prayer team to come to my left, invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to my right. This is not just their story, this is our story. What happened in the garden isn't something that just happened, it's something that happens. And we can live our lives aggressively and anxiously grasping and taking, or we can live our lives with the freedom to receive. For some of you here, You've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never received him. And you lived your life trying to grasp and control and manipulate and say, I'm going to do things my way. And you find out over and over again that your way doesn't work. It's not yielding you the kind of life, the kind of joy, the kind of peace that you long for. And so you can continue to grasp and think just maybe another job, maybe another relationship, maybe another experience, maybe another possession, maybe another vacation, maybe another this, maybe another that. That will help me. That will get me what I really long for. But no matter what you do, you'll keep grasping. 
can live grasping or receiving that God has given himself for you in Jesus Christ, forgiven you of your sins, and simply ask that you would turn to him. That's what repentance is, turning to God with open hands and saying, I want to receive. What do we receive? Grace, forgiveness, eternal life, joy unspeakable, peace that passes all understanding. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? And whether whether you're a Christian here and you're living grasping or whether you're not a Christian here, the invitation is for all to receive the generous gift of God in Jesus Christ. Our prayer team will be here to my left and for whatever needs you have, maybe maybe you're very anxious anxious about your children, anxious about your job, and you just realize you're crossing lines here and there. You're crossing emotional lines. You're crossing financial lines. You're just crossing lines, and you're tired of grasping. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're going from one relationship to the next. We want to pray for you. And we have the Lord's table here as well where we don't just take bread. We receive it. We have... We have people here who who say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you, and we are invited to receive that. And so whether you come for prayer, whether you come for the bread and the cup as the Lord leads you today, feel free to respond. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to, here's the word again, receive a gift. Receive the gift of blessing. And if you're watching online, you can open your hands in this way as well. with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, freely receiving the gift of God. And every time you're tempted to grasp, every time you're tempted to have your anxiety get the best of you. May you remember that God is good. God is not withholding good from you. May you live in a posture of receiving and trusting confidence that God is with you and for you. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the giving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, grace and peace to you.